this week on The Perfect Scam. There is a scam out there for everyone. And if you haven't experienced that scam yet, it just hasn't hit you um, and it's on its way. Welcome back to The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. Charlotte Robinette has spent about 50 years taking care of people as a nurse, almost as many taking care of her three kids. But one afternoon last year, she was suddenly thrust into what seemed like her riskiest caretaking mission of all, a mission to save her only daughter from kidnappers. She would spend the next four days and nights driving around the Phoenix area, then ultimately driving across the border into Mexico in a sleep-deprived, desperate attempt to free her daughter, a trip that landed her in handcuffs at the U.S. Border Patrol. Here's our story, A Mother's Valiant Rescue. Well, I met my husband in Bible college, and he was kind of going around helping start churches. So, Oh, wow. We had a friend that was down here and brought us down here. So we moved down here then, and of course all of that fell apart and broke up, but we stayed, raised our family and everything here. 76 is when we moved down here. Yeah. So... What did uh, what did you do while your husband was setting up churches while you were in in Phoenix? I did nursing. You did nursing. Yeah, I I pretty I pretty much supported us because right out of Bible school he went to college in Southern Colorado. He went to college for about a year and a half because we were helping a little church up in Creed, Colorado, and then. Uh, we went from there to Oregon because my dad was attending a church there and he wanted us to come out there and he was going to be a co-pastor out there. And it it worked out okay, but not real good. Mm. So that's when we were in contact with our friend from Arizona. So that's why we moved down here. And so you were a nurse for how long? Oh, man. Well, since 72. So, 50 years. Wow. (laughs) When she wasn't trying to save souls or help heal the sick, she was taking in the neighborhood kids. When my kids were growing up, they were kind of in a different way at school. and, And they had a lot of friends that were either not accepted by their parents or accepted by the school. And... All of these kids come over to my house, and sometimes they lived with us. Sometimes they just stayed for a while. One of them I kept as a foster daughter. Um, anyway, I was that I helped raise. You know, they still love me like their mom. And then my husband's family in, in Denver, even though we were divorced and he is deceased, they still kept me as their. I mean. His mom loved me like his own daughter and his brothers and sisters. Even now, after all those years, she's still working as a nurse and finding kids to help. I work two days a week. Oh, that's nice. That's a good mix, yeah. Yeah, and it's a good job, you know. I take care of a special needs child in their home. So it's it's really good for me because I know him well and and the mom and we all get along good and and it's not real hard work other than the fact that he's pretty heavy. (laughs) So she's been a helper all her life 
But one day, she was confronted by perhaps her biggest challenge of all, helping free her daughter, Kristen, from kidnappers. Well, I, I got a phone call, and it happened to be a day that I was supposed to work. It was around lunchtime because I was just getting ready to pack my lunch for work. I still didn't have my scrubs on. I had my civvies on. And I picked it up, and all of a sudden, it just said, Mom, please help me. Guys, they've taken me. And it sounded exactly like her. Because I've been around her when she's crying like that. And then the guy grabbed the phone, and he says, Okay, we got your daughter here. And uh, you do exactly what we say, you know. And, and of course, I offered up her name. I said, Kristen. So I said, you know, what are you doing and all of that? And they said, we want you to go. How much would you pay for your daughter's life? This went on for a little bit. And then I said, let me hear her. And he wouldn't let me talk to her. He said, no, that's the last you're going to hear of her. You can't talk to her. She can't talk to you. And unless you do what we say, then we are going to kill her. They were going to kill her. Charlotte doesn't have any time to think. I was sitting in my garage. It's kind of my sanctuary. I come out in the garage and I smoke and do crossword puzzles between my tours and stuff. They wouldn't let me call work. I said, I have to go to work. Mm. So finally, he said, okay, we'll put you on speaker and we'll have a three-way conversation and just tell them that something's come up. So I was a no-call, no-show at work. And this is something that I never, ever do. They tell Charlotte she has to go to a local store and wire some money to an address in Mexico or they'll kill Kristen. And when she gets into her car, they also tell her she can't hang up they listen to the entire drive, monitor her every move. They kept me on the phone constantly, either on Bluetooth or on speaker. They made me tell them every store that I was passing, every street that I was passing. It feels like chaos. Charlotte can hardly understand what the callers really want, but she doesn't dare not follow their instructions. And the demands keep coming. So naturally, it put me in a freak-out panic mode. So then they really kept pushing me for how much money I had in my bank account. And he put the big bad guy on. started really threatening and intimidating me. So I had to go to my bank and pull out all the money that I had in my bank. And... Then he made me get all the money out of my savings. And, of course, it was in August. It was hotter than heck. And, but they would only take so much money. You know, I couldn't just wire them all of that money. Each place, like, you know, any of these places that wired money to Mexico, they'd take about $700 or whatever. So she drives from place to place, wiring the maximum amount of money she can following their instructions, trying to save Kristen's life. But even all the money in her bank account isn't enough. They want her social security checks, too. But many really got on me. You're holding out on me. Well, it was the day that I got my social security check. 
so anyway, then I had to go to the bank and get the rest of that out. So that gave me another day of going from place to place. And then I spent the next three days going from place to place, these little Mexican carnicerias and stuff like that, and writing, wiring money to Mexico at these different addresses. All the while, they keep her awake, keep running her ragged, keep making her worry about Kristen. They would not let me sleep, and this went on for like all day. Then they wouldn't let me sleep at night. I had to stay up all night while they were on the phone. And then the next day, same thing, you know, going from place to place. And then finally, on the fourth day, and all of this time, I had all I had to eat was like a sandwich and a snack, and and I had some water and stuff to drink. So I, I was just, I was really running on adrenaline. The implied threats are menacing. Every time I'd ask about Christian, don't ask about it, you're going to make me mad. Got her right here, you know. Then he'd say, well, I don't want to kill her. We really aren't here to kill anybody. And, and then the bad, the heavy, when he was on there, he said, you know, this this little piddly bad amount of money, you know, we we usually do millionaires and, and you know, rich people and, you know, but this little piddly amount of money is hardly worth killing somebody, so you just better do what we say, you know, and just all of this intimidating stuff that they say, you know, you can wipe your ass with money, but you can't wipe your ass with a dead daughter. Very very menacing and uh, and they say well we have her the the one guy he was like no we we have i gave she's in the possession of a couple of my girls i didn't put her with guys and uh after the third day you know I, of course a lot of it i i couldn't eat i, I had no appetite but he says well your daughter is starting to eat a little bit too, you know, she's kind of calming down a bit. Right as Charlotte's exhaustion is hitting its worst, as she's in a tired haze, they send her on a road trip. So for four days, they wouldn't let you sleep? The last night, they let me sleep for about uh, four or five hours. The one guy that was mostly doing all the talking, he says, okay, get in your car, we're going to go for a drive. They tell her to take the last of the cash she has withdrawn and head south, a few hours south, past Tucson, to the border crossing at Nogales, to Mexico, to a bank where the money can be directly deposited into the kidnappers' accounts. And once in Mexico, they control her every move. I went in through the gate, went to their bank, did the deposit with the rest of the money, and, and each time they made me tear up the receipts and everything, and they were listening to make sure they heard the papers tearing. Finally satisfied, she's destroyed the evidence, and she's given them the last of her cash. Well, the criminals let her keep $50 for gas money to get home. Charlotte heads back to the border crossing at Nogales when, somehow, things get even worse. So then when I got out of the bank, I was waiting in the long line to get out of Mexico, and they asked me at the gate, do you have any weapons? I said, yeah, I have one in my purse. 
And all of a sudden, they just jumped up and on the lines that she's got a weapon. Border Patrol agents stop her to do a full search. This is no five-minute pull-aside. All the while, Charlotte's thinking she has to get out of this situation, back to Phoenix, where she'll get instructions on how to free her kidnapped daughter. And then they got me out of the car, handcuffed. And then they said, do you have any other weapons? And I said, well, there's one in the console. So they handcuffed me, took me to the back, frisked me. They didn't strip search me, but they, they hit and touched everywhere and made me squat and everything. They had the sniffer dog all over my truck and all over me. What are you doing here? She doesn't dare say anything to the border agents about what's going on. She doesn't dare do anything to anger the kidnappers. And they cuffed me, brought the dog over, sniffed me up and down, and, and then they took me back into the office and they took my, confiscated my truck. And you're sitting there thinking you're trying to rescue your daughter and you can't even tell them what's going on, right? Yeah, well, I figured they probably heard what was going on because my phone was on Bluetooth or speaker. Mm. My phone was on speaker, so I figured they were hearing. Adding all of that in my head, I mean, you're exhausted, you're in handcuffs, you're, you're being interrogated by Border Patrol, you're worried about your daughter's life. I mean, how would you even try to describe the feelings <laughs> that you, you had at, at that moment? I just became kind of numb. I, I, I just... I don't know. All, all I can describe it is just kind of a numb feeling, like, what what next? What could be worse? You know, what, what else is going to happen? Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult, or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. Finally, after what seems like an eternity, border agents let her go with a warning. She can focus again on Kristen, but when she gets back in her car, she realizes the phone line has gone dead. The kidnappers must have hung up during the border search. Charlotte is frantic now, driving on side streets in Nogales, Arizona, on the other side of the border, trying to reach the kidnappers, and she just can't. I tried to call these guys back, and they wouldn't answer. So I was getting real scared, so I thought, well, I'll call my daughter, because if they have her and I call her on the phone, then they'll be able to talk to me. So I called her. Charlotte nervously dials her daughter's cell phone number, and she gets another huge surprise from Kristen. She says, hello. I said, Kristen, are, are you okay? She says, yeah, I'm fine. I said, where are you? She said, I'm sitting right here at my house. I'm like, oh, you know, Mm. everything just sort of fell apart. And I was, I was sad and relieved both at the same time. I was so relieved that, that she was okay. Kristen was fine. 
She was home the whole time. She was never at risk. She wasn't kidnapped. The whole thing, the whole four-day nightmare, the handcuffs, all of it was just a story told to her by criminals. Exhausted, broke, far from home, mad and relieved. It's hard to put into words all the things Charlotte felt at that moment as she tries to catch her bearings in Nogales. It's that moment when your daughter answers the phone and you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I make sense of this? Uh, is, you know, was, was she kidnapped or not? I mean, what is that like? Oh, it was, it was such a relief. It was such a relief to hear her voice that she was okay. And then I told her what happened. And of course, she was very sympathetic and everything. So I was angry and relieved at the same time. <laughs> it, it was like, I, I just wanted to fall down and cry and pass out or something. So anyway, my daughter, she said, would you like to stop by on your way home so that you can hug me and see I'm okay? And I said, yeah. So I, I went to my daughter's and, and they wouldn't let me drive home. They, they kept me overnight. Well, she got to sleep that first night in her daughter's home. Charlotte figured she still has reason to be concerned. I was also frightened because, you know, if they know where I live, you know, and and we were talking, and I, I don't remember if I gave them my address or not. I don't think so, but it was just, after it was done, and I was afraid that they knew where I lived, and they might come over here or something, you know, but I, I'm not sure that I did give them my address. I think I just told them I lived in Glendale. But then I got to thinking, they got their money. What, what do they want with me now? You know? And while she was thankful her daughter was fine, the previous four days had created a lot of problems. And they made some of Charlotte's existing problems only worse. It wasn't the first time she'd spent money down to her last dollar. They got about $11,000. Uh, that was it. Yeah. I've been trying to save up because I had lost everything when I was with another man and we ended up driving the truck all over the nation and that ended up taking all of my IRA. And so I was just trying to get back on my feet. And I managed to get good credit and all of that stuff and a good place to live. And then that just dwindled it down. Now I'm trying to get up some savings again little by little, and that's why I still have to work two days a week, mm. just so that I can get, because my Social Security, I could probably make it on that, but I wouldn't have any play money. Charlotte had bills to pay in the aftermath of the crime, but remember all those orphans and neighbors she had taken care of through the years? Well, many of them decided it was time to take care of Charlotte. And thank God for my son, because... He opened up a GoFundMe account. So between them and all of these kids I helped raise, they raised enough money that I could get my bills paid. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I realized just, you know, sometimes you forget 
and then I realized just how much I was loved hmm. or am loved. So, you know, that's sometimes people say there's a silver lining. Uh, to me, that sounds like much more than a silver lining. I mean, that's, you know, you went through an experience, but you came out the other side knowing how loved you are by all these people. Uh, that, that seems so beautiful to me. Yeah, and, and the shock of it was none of them blamed me. Hmm. A couple of them said, well, they said, Mom, I would have done the same thing if it was my child. Don't blame yourself. And my daughter, she Mom, I know you. I know you are going to beat yourself to death over this. And she said, don't do it. And But that is the hardest thing not to do. Hmm. But it just... I, I really can't believe that I was actually able to do all of that and not fall apart or faint or do something. I mean, I, I just had a lot of strength, it seems like. And obviously a lot of love for your daughter. Oh, yeah. But the incident haunted her, still haunts her. And, oh, I, I mean, I... I don't know how long it was before I got a night's sleep because I laid awake and I pictured it. I mean, you know, I was dreaming of all these places that I was going to, these little Mexican places, Western Union. I even went to a couple of those. I went to some Longlings. Uh, and I drove pretty much all over the western part of the city. And they, they'd ask, you know, what are you driving? I tell them, okay, we see it, you know, so they made me think that they were following me. So it, it was just it, it's hard to really describe the feeling that you have. <laughs> yes, it's very hard to describe those feelings. The intense fear brought on by this kind of crime, which experts call virtual kidnapping. Marty DeLima is an assistant research professor at the University of Minnesota, and she has spent her career studying the feelings people like Charlotte have during these kinds of crimes. Marty says many, many people think they'd never become a victim of a crime like virtual kidnapping. They are dead wrong. Yeah, I think that it really goes against the identities that we've built up for ourselves as people who are savvy consumers. Um, and people just don't want to admit that this is something that could happen to them. Fraud is one of those things where we all recognize it's out there, it's happening, but we ourselves think we're invulnerable. It's others who are at risk. So when it happens to us, we do whatever we can to kind of distance ourselves from that feeling of being vulnerable. And you know, back to your example, if you're stuck on the side of the road and it's 90 degrees out, you're gonna take help from anybody. Right, or if you're in Minnesota, <laughs> it's more like it's negative 20 out. Sure. Um, but yeah. yeah, you will take, you will do what it takes. Um, You're not going to ask for a business license from someone who says, I can help start your car. I mean, right, right. I can run and go get gas. Just give me a 20 right now. I'll be back in a flash. Her core message, anyone could be a victim of a scam. I think that there is a scam out there for everyone. Um, and if you haven't experienced that scam yet, it just hasn't hit you um, and it's on its way. So, you know, I think scams are marketed at different groups of people and there's so much gray area too. You know, like all these, you can think about like natural juice cleanses and clear your body of toxins. Well, clearly those are marketed at maybe young women or young men. And some groups would be like, I would never think that something like that is legitimate. 
Um, and then other people, it's a completely other set of, of scams and deception or line of products or services that, that can get you. Um, I always think that if I was stuck on the side of the road and my car broke down, I know nothing about cars, I could easily fall for a con in that situation. And I'm a person who studies this. So again, there's a scam out there for each and every one of us. So we're all vulnerable to something in some way. A key element in many virtual kidnappings, and a big part of what happened to Charlotte, was the criminal's efforts to keep her awake and to keep her on the phone. I think it shows just how much effort they themselves are putting in to this con. Um, you know, the fact that if she's not sleeping, they're working around the clock in order to extract as much money from her as possible. And the criminals are going to be set on not breaking the ether because they know that the moment that Charlotte hangs up the phone or the moment that she has a time, a minute just to clear her mind is the moment that things might not seem all right anymore. Um, the important thing about this scam is that she already thinks that there's a criminal activity going on. She already thinks that these are bad people. And that's very different than many other scams where the criminals make you think that they're there to help you avoid some other threat or consequence from other, from truly bad people. Like we think about the, um, the Social Security Administration scam or others like that. So what's interesting is that Charlotte really does think she's dealing with bad people, but she thinks they're kidnappers, not scammers. And they don't want to break the ether. So they're going to keep her on the phone for as long as possible um, because they know the minute she hangs up, uh, she's, she's going to come kind of come out of that fog. Marty says it's important not to underestimate the role fear plays in a scam like this. This scam was effective because of the impact of fear arousal. Um, fear is really what made um, Charlotte stay in that ether. Um, and fear is what absolutely overrode her, her rational decision making to think, wait a second, <laughs> this, this is just not plausible. Um, so, so again, you know, fear is something that's really hard to manage when we're in that, that state and scammers know that. So, so they're going to try to get you in that emotional state right away and keep it going um, because that is critical for their skin to be successful. Maybe Charlotte's caring personality made her a good target for the criminals. But Marty says, really, any parent is a target for a virtual kidnapping. I think most parents would do whatever it takes to, you know, care for their care for their children. Um, you know, they probably got her at an off at a minute or a moment when she was off guard. Um, and then it kind of snowballs. And it's again, this idea of she's already kind of committed to this idea that her daughter is in danger. So she's going to keep kind of continuing with the behavior to do what it takes to, to protect her daughter. Um, but we see people kind of across the spectrum fall for the virtual kidnapping scam. So it's hard to say whether, you know, that innate, loving, caring personality makes you more predisposed to the scam. She advocates for something called the Thinking Ahead Roadmap, making a plan for dealing with late-in-life finances at an early age. While the roadmap is generally about financial planning, it could help with scams, too. Absolutely. So, so you can imagine that if Charlotte you know, had another person on her accounts that would receive alerts 
every time there was a major withdrawal or a big transfer, um, that person would be getting a little notification. <laughs> um, and and I, ideally, that person who Charlotte would have picked and trusted would give her a phone call and say, hey, I'm concerned. What's going on? Why did you just move you know, $1,000 into this other account or $4,000? Where did it go? And then if Charlotte said, you know, I, I really can't tell you, this is really serious, something's happened to my daughter, that, that might be enough to break the ether and protect the rest of Charlotte's finances. So that's really the key is just getting that extra checks and balances and, and more people just to support you in your own decisions. And then when you, if you completely lose the ability to, do, to manage your own money, that they can carry your wishes forward. It really gives you as the individual more control over your future um, finances. I love this idea. It's pretty easy to set up warning text messages with your bank. Most people can do this on their own. Set up financial accounts to send alerts to loved ones for transactions over a certain amount. What a great way to keep tabs on someone's financial accounts to see if there's a string of unexpected activity. As for what Charlotte learned from this incident, for one thing, she learned you can text and talk at the same time. That would have been helpful during the initial moments of this crime, with many crimes, really. Well, my son told me, he says, you know, you can't text while you're talking on the phone. And I said, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you didn't. Yeah, you know, you're not used to technology. We just got these phones, not, you know, not shortly before all this happened. So I'm unfamiliar with these smartphones. And that's one of the reasons she's decided to share her story. She wants other people to be familiar with the technology and with virtual kidnappings. Yeah, I, I, the main reason I talk about it is because I want the word out. And the reason I reported it to you because I read in the art magazine about the scam. Mm -hmm. This wasn't one of the scams, though, and I thought, this is one that needs to get out of there. Charlotte's life is returning to normal, and she is starting to build back up her savings again. And she still spends most of her time caring for other people. I'm not dumb, but I am very gullible and trusting. And I believe people. I'm going to use a different word. I'm going to say that you are caring. I mean, obviously you collected families your whole life, not just your own, but other families, other kids, your, your husband's, your ex-husband's family. So you care a lot about people. And, and that's what they used against you is the fact that you're caring. That's true. They found my weakest point. Which is your strongest point. So the one thing I hope they don't take from you, I hope that you don't, <laughs> you don't become any less caring because of this experience. Well, the, like I said, it was a bad experience, but good came out of it. I, I, you know, just finding how much I'm still loved and cared about. If you have been targeted by a scam or fraud, you are not alone. Call the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can provide you with free support and guidance on what to do next. Thank you to our team of scam busters, executive producer Julie Getz, producer Brooke Ellis, associate producer and researcher Megan DeMagnus, and of course, our audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, 
I'm Bob Sullivan.